John chapter 4, that will be uh, where our text is focused. As Pastor Chase mentioned uh, in his welcome, uh, we're beginning a new four-week series this morning uh, called Glory to the Newborn King. And uh, we're going to be talking about our response to the birth of this king, and specifically what this response looks like here at Oak Park. We'll be talking about uh, the four parts of our strategy both worship, community, discipleship, and mission. Uh, on Sunday mornings, we'll be defining what each one of these look like. And as Pastor Chase mentioned, uh, next Sunday night in our family business meeting, we'll be talking more specifically about what worship, mission, community, and discipleship look like in the different ministries of Oak Park. But the first step is uh, the very foundation of what the other three are built upon, and this is our worship. What is worship, and how do we worship? If you look at the definition that you'll see on the screen, um, the definition that we are is from uh, John chapter 4, verse 24. Worship is adoring God the Father through Jesus Christ by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working through God's Word. I know there's a lot of different components there in that statement, and so I have the next 40 minutes to unpack exactly what this phrase means. And the clearest text that we have in the New Testament that defines worship is in John chapter 4. This is the story of Christ and coming across uh, the woman at the well. And they have this exchange where they're talking about water, and, and Jesus gets weird on her talking about living water. And then uh, we come to John chapter 4, verse 16, if you'll read along with me there. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And here in this text, Jesus begins by telling her something that's very personal, something she probably didn't want uh, talked about there in that moment. And the woman responds to this statement that Christ made by saying, hey, surely you are a prophet. So while I have you here, I have a question for you. I want to ask you about worship. See, the Samaritans, it's our tradition that we worship here on this mountain that we're on right now. But you Jews... You say that we must worship in Jerusalem, so which is it? And Christ responds to her with three different statements. The first, he's saying, hey, you know, the time is coming when worship will neither take place here on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
He says that worship is not about one specific place, as the Jews said, namely there in Jerusalem with the priest and the sacrifices. And then he goes on to make a second statement. He says that salvation is from the Jews. That's a very heavy statement, uh, and I encourage you, if you want to know more about that, come back in January when uh, Pastor Chase jumps back in Romans, and uh, we'll talk in great depth about that in uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. Um, and then the third statement that he makes, he, he defines how we truly worship. So before we look at how we truly worship, let's just look at this word worship. Well, what does worship even mean? I want to make sure that we all come here today with the same understanding when we say worship. I know oftentimes we think, oh, well, it's just the singing portion, right, what we just did. So, so when we come together on Sunday, we, we worship, and then we listen to preaching. But this word that's used here in John chapter 4, the original meaning is something that's far different than just us singing. This means for someone to come and to fall down on their knees and, and to, like, kiss the hand of someone or to bow down with your face on the ground it's like someone paying homage to a king, it's someone placing their life in submission to someone else. We see this uh, used multiple times throughout the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. We see it uh, used in the um, time when Christ is in temptation in the wilderness, and Satan comes to him, and he says, Jesus, I want you to worship me. I want you to bow down before me. And Christ responded to him by saying, you shall worship or you shall bow before the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He says, Satan, I will not submit myself to you. We also see this same phrase, worship, often translated as uh, knelt down in, in many of the healings that happen throughout the Gospels. Well, I think specifically of uh, the time when the synagogue ruler his daughter had just died, and he came to Christ. He found him. He ran, and he fell down before him. He knelt before him. He worshiped before him, and he begged Christ. He said, come and lay your hands on my daughter, and she will live. He was showing a sign of submission to Jesus. And so worship is not just the words that we sing. But it's a whole being response to God, us bowing before him. As the, as the uh, statement says, us adoring God the Father. Ask the kids who come here on Wednesday, what is the chief end of man? Children? Anyone? Kids? What is the chief end of man? Hello? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's something that we teach them over and over in Awana. This is our very purpose of existence is to worship our God. And as we look here at the text of verse 23 and 24, Christ tells us the proper way that we should worship. He says here, beginning in verse 23, he says, But the hour is coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's begin first by looking at how we worship in truth. 
There's so much confusion in the world around us about what is truth. Everyone says, well, truth is subjective. I have my truth. You have your truth. Let's just coexist together. We're surrounded by so many lies about how we should do the things that we do. Many of those lies are telling us that we should not honor our God. This is exactly what we heard in Romans chapter 1, verse 21. It says, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not worship God. And it continues in verse 25, but they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. It says, they turned their attention from the one that created them to the creation itself. This is the story that we see at the very beginning of the scriptures, where Adam and Eve were there in the garden, and the serpent came to them and began to tell them, God surely didn't say this. God surely didn't say that. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And Jesus is telling us here, he says, hey, you want to worship rightly? Then you should worship in truth. You should not worship according to, to myths. You should not worship according to different traditions. We shouldn't worship according to how we feel. And so where is this truth about how we should worship found? It's found in the scriptures. This is the message of the entire scriptures, that man has rebelled, but that God has demonstrated his love for us in this way. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not face the wrath of God but have eternal life. More succinctly, Jesus is the truth. We see this in the, the same book of John, chapter 1, verse 7. He tells us that truth came through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say later in, in John chapter 14, Christ says himself, he says, I am the truth. And so when we look at the definition, if you keep that on the screen for me, please. So we look at the definition. It says, adoring God the Father through Jesus Christ. And that comes through the word. So we think about this on a, on a personal level. Can, consider your own personal life. If you consider yourself a true worshiper, you say, hey, I've submitted my life to God and I, I've come to faith in Christ. Well, my question to you is, how did you come to that faith? How did that happen? Most certainly it came because someone declared the scriptures to you. Maybe a pastor, maybe a parent. As it is written, so faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. How does it look on, on a corporate level? Well, each Sunday morning we gather here together and everything that we do in our service is built on the truth. It's built on the scriptures. More specifically, what is revealed about Christ in the scriptures. Each week as we come here together, we have a pattern in how we do our worship. Right after the announcements end, whoever's leading worship will open with a call to worship, call of a scripture. And all the time, that we go through our entire service to the very end when there's a, a closing benediction, a closing scripture, everything that we do, we try to pack as much truth into it. And all that truth is pointing to Christ. How does this look? Will, will we stand here just as 
Pastor Jim did this morning, someone comes and we read the truth. That's all we do. Just someone just opens up and just reads an entire text, whole chapter, maybe several paragraphs. And we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, we're told, until I come, until Christ returns, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. This is what we are commanded to do. We, we understand that someone coming here and, and opening up uh, somewhere in the Bible and reading an entire paragraph, we understand that that may not be the most entertaining thing that we can do here on a Sunday morning. But this is what we are commanded to do as a church, to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And if we believe that this is the truth and this has power, what better thing that we can do than just simply read it? We also preach the truth. Every week when Pastor Chase or someone else comes here, we unpack these scriptures. We stand here not with the purpose of telling you what I think or telling you what I feel, but telling you what the truth says. And may the entire time of preaching be filled with different scriptures. We also proclaim the truth visually. Think specifically about baptism and communion. When we take these two different ordinances, we are declaring our allegiance to God our Father, and we are showing these truths in a symbolic way to all those who see. We also pray the truth. When the elders comes up and has the time of pastoral prayer, we are praying the truths of God back to God, saying, God, you have said these things, now we are asking that they might come about in our lives. Finally, we, we sing the truths. All the songs that Pastor Chris and those he has fill in, pick out, are songs that are filled with scriptures, songs that are pointing us to Christ. And so we worship in truth, but we also worship in spirit. Or as John says elsewhere in his book, the spirit of truth. See, true worship is not just a matter of our head. It's a matter of our heart. The Holy Spirit allows us to see this truth. The Holy Spirit allows us to hear this truth. And we need the Holy Spirit of God to work within us for us to believe, and for us to be changed by this truth. John says in John chapter 16, verse 13, Christ is saying, he, he says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. And so as you look at the definition, it says, Adoring God the Father through Jesus Christ by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This exact same thought is repeated identically in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14, it says, In Christ you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until we obtain the possession, until we obtain this inheritance. For what purpose? To the praise of his glory. And so true worshipers must also have the spirit. We can't just worship in truth. This is what we see in Isaiah 29, 13. It reads, 
These people come near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human commands that they have been taught. And so knowing the truth is just not enough. It must be something that's internal, must be something in our heart. This is exactly what Christ said. He says that we should love the Lord your God, yes, with all of your mind, but also with all of your soul, all of your being, with all of your heart, with all of your affections. This is what true worship looks like, with our hearts bowing down in submission to God our Father. This is how we must worship here at Oak Park. When we gather on Sundays, we can't just sing some songs and hear a lecture and throw some money in the plate, and that's good enough. That's not true worship. As Isaiah said, that's worship that looks like people barely basing their worship on human rules that they've been taught. But true worship looks like us hearing about the Savior and our hearts being stirred. And so when we sing, we should sing with joy, or we should sing with repentance. And when us as pastors prepare to preach, we should not just come up here and just try to give you guys a whole bunch of data, but we should appeal to your affections, rely on the Holy Spirit to work through the preached word of Christ. And as you come and you hear should receive the preached word with joy, and you should respond with obedience. And as we come together and we take communion, as someone stands and warns you every single time, don't just take this and just eat it and just drink it, but as you do so, do so reflecting on Christ, praising his sacrifice that went towards your salvation. Christ said, those who worship must worship in both spirit and in truth. In our personal lives, well, one example that this looks like is when we're sharing Christ with others. We need both spirit and truth. We can't just rely on the spirit. God has chosen that the means of people coming to faith is from hearing the preached word of God. Most people don't just lay in bed one night and have a dream about Christ and all of a sudden become a follower. It comes through the preached word. But once we preach, we also need the spirit to come and work. And we must pray, and we must trust God's spirit to change their hearts through that preached word. As we come here together on a corporate level, when we come together and every week is just all truth, well then we're just making a bunch of noise drawing near to him with our lips. There's no life change, and God is not honored. But if we come here and it's all spirit and no truth, well, then we have the danger of false teachings, leading the church into many heresies. Or we could lead the church into to great chaos. This is the picture that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where the church gathered together and they were demonstrating many of their spiritual gifts. But there was no order in their worship. 
And they were doing so without consideration of others. And so we must worship in spirit and truth. And when we do that on a weekly basis, then great things come about in both our personal lives and in the community around us. And the amount of worshipers here at Oak Park will grow. As it says at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, he says, if we are rightly worshiping, it says, I quote, if an unbeliever outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. And the secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so, falling on his face, he will worship. The same word that's used in John 4. He will bow before God and declare that God is really among us. May this be the case every single week here at Oak Park as we worship in both spirit and in truth. As the word is of Christ is preached and combined with the Holy Spirit, both personally and publicly, may it result in true worship. As it says here in John chapter 14, the Father is seeking such worshipers as these. So what's an example of, of how this looks like? Well, let's look at, at the Christmas story, Matthew chapter 2. If you'll turn there with me. Matthew chapter 2, we, we come across the story of the wise men. It's a better translation is magi. We see elsewhere in the scriptures translated as magicians. These guys were the, the scholars, the astronomers. Probably not the we three kings of glory and might, but the, with their education, they were certainly from the ruling class. And, and we see from the gifts of gold items and perfumes that they brought to Christ that they certainly were, were men of great wealth. There's no indication that there was three of them, although we see that there was three great gifts, so that's just assumed. And these are men from the east, most likely not Jews, but obviously by the account of things that happened, they were God-fearing men. And they were astronomers that were following this strange star that they had seen over in the West. And maybe it was from their studies of the Old Testament writings, or maybe it was from divine prophecy that they had received. But something caused them to associate this strange star with the king of the Jews. And so they go on this journey to find this truth and to look for a ruler I get the idea of them just walking around Jerusalem saying, hey, have you found, have you seen the king of the Jews? Hey, do you know who the king of the Jews is? And the search led them to Herod's courts, who was the current king of the Jews. But the odd thing was no one knew what they were talking about. And so we pick up the story in, in verse 9. After they had heard the king say that this ruler would be born in Bethlehem, second sentence there in nine, it says, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they fell down and worshiped him. 
Again, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It says that they worshipped him. This is the exact same word that we see in John chapter 4. The exact same word that we see of the synagogue ruler and the exact same word that we see of the unbeliever in the rightly worshiping church in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It says that they bowed down and they gave honor. They worshiped this young child. What a beautiful picture of these elite men, highly educated, wealthy men, responding to the revealed truth right in front of them and bowing to a baby and handing over to him items of great worldly value. This is the account of the wise men or the magi. And it isn't the only time that we see the word worship mentioned here in this passage in Matthew chapter 2. Herod too responded to the question of where is this one who's been born king of the Jews? In, in verse 8, he talks about worship. He says, go and search diligently for this child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. He says, yeah, yeah, you know, I want to go bow down before him too. But this is just something that he was saying with his mouth. Because his life showed something very different. His actions revealed his true heart we see that he really was threatened by this young child. The story tells us that he went on to kill many children, young boys in Bethlehem, maybe hundreds or thousands of children. I'm sure as I preach today that there are some here that are realizing that you are not true worshipers. Maybe you're just here just checking out things here at Oak Park. Maybe you admit that your heart has never been changed by the truth that you grew up hearing. My guess is that you didn't come here today because you followed some star that stopped right over Oak Park. But I do assure you that God has been working in divine ways to bring you here. And I hope that some of you are like the Magi. You come here today and you're seeking some answers. It is my prayer that upon finding Jesus, upon hearing the truth of Christ's salvation proclaimed to you, that it will be met with the Spirit. And some of you will bow down to your Savior. And despite your status, you will submit yourself to God. And that you will surrender all the things that the world finds valuable. So, in closing, I ask that you join in worship with all of creation. As it is written in Psalm 148, we just sang these things. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise the Lord from the earth. All sea monsters and ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind that executes his commands. May you join in worship with the mountains and all the hills and all the fruit trees and all the cedars and all the wild animals and all the cattle, creatures that crawl and, and the flying birds. May you join in worship with all of heaven and all of the angels and all of the saints that have gone on before us. That is, 
it is written in Revelation chapter 5. And they were bowing before the throne, declaring, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And may you join with all the true worshipers here at Oak Park as we gather weekly on Sundays and we bow down and worship God the Father through Jesus Christ by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working through God's word. And may that worship lead you to join in the other three components of our mission and follow the example of the early church as we see in the book of Acts where they come together and worship in community and the spirit and truth is applied and lived out. May you come here weekly and be discipled in the scriptures so that you can know more truth and worship more rightly and more thoroughly. And may you go out of this place every single week with the mission of bringing in more worshipers. May you worship in spirit and truth because the Father is seeking such worshipers as these. Let us pray. God, our Father, we come to you declaring the truth of Jesus Christ. That though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be held on to. But he gave up his position. He came to earth to be born as a little baby in Bethlehem. grew up and he followed the plan that you had laid out beforehand before the beginning of time and he died on the cross so that he might become our savior and the result of this is that Jesus Christ is now highly exalted and he's given the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow heaven and on earth and under the earth every knee here at Oak Park and every knee in the community around us and every knee around the globe and worship God our Father through Jesus Christ we pray now that your spirit will come and that you will set these truths deep in the hearts of this people you, God, our Father, receive all the glory. And all those who agree with me, say amen.